Welcome to Shelf Logic, the official podcast of the Maricopa County Library District. Well, hello, and welcome to our panel discussion about Native representation in literature. I'd like to introduce our panelists, and as I introduce them, um, I'm hoping that they could tell us a little bit about themselves and why they're here today, why this topic is really important. Um, I'd first like to introduce Naomi Bishop. Naomi, can you say hi and tell us a bit about yourself? Hi, I'm Naomi Bishop. I am a health science librarian here at the University of Arizona College of Medicine, Phoenix. And I'm Akhmil Otham from the Gila River Indian community. Uh, Phoenix is my home. Grew up in Mesa. And um, I really think this topic is important because I have worked in libraries for 10 years and I have seen what we do have represented in libraries and what we don't have represented in libraries. Um, and I am a new parent and it really concerns me to see the representations that are there and what we need more of. And so um, this is why it's a great topic to discuss. And your expertise is like children's books and um, like picture books, right? Yeah, so I've been on the American Indian Youth Literature Awards um, Committee for a while now. And I really like to read picture books, uh, middle grade books, YA, um, a lot of children's literature, um, because I think there's more and more being published. Um, but it's really important to look at the quality of what's being published and who's publishing those books. That's great. Thank you so much. Um, Byron Aspa, can you introduce yourself? Did I pronounce your name right? Yeah, you did, Aspas. Okay. So. Um, hi, my name is Byron Aspas. Um, I am Navajo, Dene, Nishle, Tachini, Nishle, Totorichini, Bashishchin. I currently live in Colorado Springs right now, but grew up in the Four Corners area, um, just uh, within the confines of the reservation up on a plateau. So, um, yeah, I, I, I am, yeah, I, I, I write uh, creative nonfiction, actually, is what I, I publish. And so most of my work is in creative nonfiction. And when it comes to uh, teaching and poetry, I kind of like like to tell them from a more um, personal stance about how to approach uh, certain things with that we're going to speak about today, um, kind of finessing around those issues. And so that's something that's really important to me as far as being a Native writer, Indigenous writer, so to speak. So um, yeah, uh, just just to, yeah, that's it. <laughs> and you just um, had a short story um, published in an anthology, right? The Diné Reader? Yeah. Yes, I, I um, had a story um, picked up by uh, the Diné reader um, of my experience growing up on the reservation, dealing with um, coal mine as an effect to my family and to the land. And then it just kind of trickles down to story. So, yes. <laughs> and if anyone's interested, the library um, does have a copy of that. So you can always check it out from the library and see Byron's um, story in there. Um, so thank you, Byron. And finally, we have Vina Begay, and she is one of our very own librarians here. So Vina, go ahead and introduce you. Hi, my name is Vina Begay, and of course, like Byron, I have to introduce myself in clan. Vina Begay, Ganeshek, Lashchit, Ninshlik, Kiani, Bashishchit, and Tabaha Dashache, Ashihite, Shanela. And I'm originally from New Mexico. I grew up in the Four Corners area. Um, I know Byron very well, too. We kind of grew up together in some way and later in our adult life. So it's really, I'm great to have them uh, here. And also I know Naomi and the work she's done here too. So I'm very thankful that both of you are on here. Um, I feel this is very important because um, this discussion is should be brought up to light because I dealt with a lot of these misrepresentation when I am as a research librarian. I deal with a lot of those and a lot of them, people that are not familiar with Native people make those type of assumptions and ask those type of questions. And I'm often asked, you know, does Native people exist and those type mm -hmm. of things. So I am, I think this is a really important topic and that's why I'm very thankful for this and everything that we're discussing right now too. So. Awesome. Thank you all so much. Um, so I'm just going to jump right into the deep end here. We're going to get like the hardest questions out of the way first. Um, so like the straight to the core of our topic here, I really wanted to talk about like common themes and stereotypes that people can run across in literature. So we can talk um, to all three of you really about your thoughts on like maybe the shapeshifter or a skinwalker trope in urban fantasy. Um, that's really popular these days to use or how people misuse spirit animals sometimes. Um, sometimes they use it as an icebreaker question. 
or even like the misappropriation of your spiritual practices. So if they use like smudging as new age spirituality or witchcraft in books, um, are there other common stereotypes that really bother you? Um, let's hear from Naomi first. Thanks for that question. That's a really um, great question to address. Um, I don't get a lot of questions about this um, mm -hmm. as much because my whole core is to promote books that are actually real representations of um, Native kids and Native mm -hmm. youth today. Um, but I know this is something historically in children's literature that has been um, written about and brought up and continues to be, you know, part of some of the themes. I do see a lot of, of fantasy and fiction um, trying to cross over into, you know, writing about different tribal communities or different tribes. Um, and I just want to say that not every tradition and spiritual practice applies to every tribe. I said, I'm Pima. I'm from here from Phoenix. And I mean, I grew up, I had neighbors that were Diné. I learned stories from them and heard stories from them about their culture. And it was very different than the stories that I grew up with in my culture. And so I think that's something that we have to understand that each tribe has their own traditions and stories and knowledge. Um, mm -hmm. And if you're writing or reading about someone's spiritual beliefs or traditions, um, no matter what culture it is, that those are their stories and not your own. Um, and it's not for you to share these stories. Um, I think authors should not take spiritual or traditional beliefs and portray them as fantasy or fiction. And if you are going to read or, or hear about these different tribally specific, you know, stories, um, there's, there is a, a process of permissions and cultural protocols um, something that you're taught when you're very young to ask permission of when to tell these stories or what, who to tell these stories to or when to talk about things. And I think that's something that is often misplaced in today's world. And so I really encourage people to think um, about what they're reading. And a, a lot of times, I mean, there are stories that are true, you know, fiction, but they are bringing in cultural aspects of that. And that does bother me because if I'm reading a story that's actually a cult, a traditional story or something, I mean, I, I am a Christian. I was raised, you know, Presbyterian and Christian faith. There are rituals and traditions that you don't disrespect. And I think that is something that we do not understand if you're not from that community or that tribal um, belief. And so that is something that I think um, writers, readers, everyone who's consuming um, books, it's great to consume, but also think about, is this respectful? Is this done in the right way? Um, and what do the people who whose culture this is think about this? And I think about that a lot. Thank you. That's really good. Um, Byron, what about you? Wow. That was a great response, Naomi. <laughs> um, I was... Yeah, I well, I was I was thinking about my own personal, um, uh, personal, I guess, um, connection to certain tropes and certain uh, characters that may have come up. And I think when I first started to write, I realized that um, I was doing something that shouldn't be touched on, you know, such as like uh, my stories that should be only taught during certain times of the year. Um, between First Frost and, and, and First Thunder, um, growing up on the reservation, you know, you, you are, you identify, try to identify more with the colonized world when it comes down to it, that aspect of trying to fit in all the time, learning to kind of manipulate your voice so you can sound very educated. Those are things that we were brought up with. And when you, when you age, I realize that you forget a lot of these teachings and, and, you know, you're, you're living out in the world, outside world. And so I realized that when I was writing about certain things, I was called out for it, you know, and, and that was when I, I, I consider myself more like an accidental student in that sense, because I didn't grow up wanting to read or write or do what I'm doing currently. So I had a different aspect on what, um, what creating was like. And so when I was talked to about reading about the ma'i, the coyote, during certain times of this, the year, it had to make me, it made me realize 
that not only am I connected to myself, I'm also connected to this nation of people when it comes to my own craft. How do I navigate myself around that by respecting those confines of my culture versus my own uh, beliefs as a person trying to make a buck, so to speak? So. That's a good yeah. point because a lot of people like feel like a failure if they make a mistake or if they get called out on something. You know, we live in such a cancel culture, right? Mm -hmm. But it is very much a human nature. It's an iterative process, right? You learn something new and you make your changes in behavior. So I think it's on one hand, it's reassuring that to know that everyone does end up making mistakes as long as you learn from them, right? <laughs> and I think that's also part of who this character we're talking about in that sense. I, I talk about it in the Danette Reader when they ask the questions, who you think yourself of. I do think of myself in that sense, always making these mistakes all mm -hmm. the time, just like the oral stories as that same character. I hope others learn from my mistakes to, to prevent them from, do, I guess, doing it again in the future. So, mm -hmm. yeah. That's great, thank you. Vina, how about you? Um, my take on the whole shape shifting and the um, skin marker type of thing comes back. It's more of a personal um, uh, response is because I was raised in a very strict traditional home. And when you what I was taught I, is that such things like this are bad and it should not be touched upon. You know, it's it's this thing that we say in our culture is dojatina. You know, you're not supposed to touch on those type of things. It's as if you're calling bad things to you because these are bad representations. So when you have these in literature, you know, we have, we are a people that is a lot of our younger generation are slowly losing those traditional teachings. And so they are more influenced by Westernized culture, especially in books, you know, and when they are written in books, it's as if we're glorifying something that is bad. You know, and in our traditional way, we're taught, you know, that's something bad. You don't glorify that. You're asking for bad things. And when those type of things are glorified, we send the wrong message to our younger generation that this is something cool. And it goes against our traditional practice of belief of how we were taught. So for me, I'm like, I, I, I really, you know, be cautious of when you're talking about these things. Um, again, as Naomi said, every culture and every tribe has their own different stories from the North and the South or the East and the uh, the West re re regions of the United States, they all have their own different stories. Um, and depending on uh, what you're reading is don't classify these type of things that all tribes do this that all tribes uh have stories like this it's uh for my tribe i can i only i can only speak for myself and for me alone not for all tribes but it is something that's bad and it's something i don't really like to read up on in when i'm looking at books or reading books mm -hmm. so it more stems for a, a traditional approach in how i was raised well, that's super valid because you know each of you had different responses. So you know if an author it wants to use some sort of native tradition in their writing, the best thing for them to do obviously is to go back to the exact tribe that it came from because every person, every tribe is going to have a different viewpoints, right? So they should really go back to the source to find out if it's okay to write about, how should they write about it, who can they include, right? It's a dialogue. Well, thank you. Um, okay, so we're going to move on. Um, I've been seeing Native people, um, you see lots of terms these days. Do you have a preference? Um, what would you recommend that our listeners use? Um, we'll start with Naomi again. So I use the term Acme Otam, which is uh, my tribe. Pima is actually a Spanish word that was given to us. Um, a lot of people use it because that's what it's referred to, you know. Um, but I think Tribal names are really important because people need to understand the difference between different mm -hmm. um, tribal communities um, and different histories and different languages. Um, but when I'm presenting or writing, I usually use the term American Indian because a lot of what I'm focusing is on are um, folks here um, within the United States and, and tribally, you know, federally recognized tribal people. There's a lot of um, legal and um, other aspects that come to terminology, um, what you're referring to and what 
that means. Um, and so I think it's really um, hard to understand the differences. If you're not native, you don't understand what each word means. But I think when I'm writing, I really am presenting. I want people to understand, like, this is the group of people I'm talking about. And we're all different. Um, but um, we all have some similar histories in like treaties that were drafted or reservations that were set up. And so um, that's kind of my preference. Mm -hmm. Byron, how about you? Oh, um, I grew up, you know, knowing the term Indian, you know, and being called out for saying Indian. It's not Indian, it's Indian. So I started to reference myself as an Indian. Um, learning to enunciate these words here is has been my my struggle with the language when it comes down to it. Um, eventually, I started to call myself as a Native American, but now you have people when moving here to Colorado. I've realized that it's become territorial um, in that sense, mm -hmm. and it's more of the people who are not um, Native in that sense, a Native American, Indian, Indian that we're starting to say I'm a Colorado native. And so the confusion started to happen within me because I'm like, what tribe are you? <laughs> and mm -hmm. so um, I, I realized I started to use the term indigenous after a while. But then again, now that we have these DNA tests, you have, Amer you, have you know, people of all, all different types of colors saying they're indigenous now. Mm -hmm. So, I, as as of lately, I just I've been calling myself just Dene, you know. I, I'm Navajo. I I, I don't I, I I'm Dene, and they're like, well, what's Dene? And I'm like, well, it's it's Navajo, you know. Um, so there and, and from 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 memory, I remember hearing that Navajo is a given name, but now I'm also hearing now how Napejo is is part of our, our our culture in that sense and so it tells a story and so I I'm as a writer I'm, I'm going to have to go around and research all these different mm -hmm. things and and re-examining myself and how I identify now as a person um, I, I don't really use the term indigenous I don't use the term Indian or Indian I just uh, I'm Diné so yeah. and just to clarify Diné means the people right that's what Navajo call themselves is that correct Yes. Okay. Um, so just to clarify for the audience that they're unfamiliar with the word. Um, I Vina, say, you. Oh, go ahead. I would just say that in Akme Otam, it's the river people, and so Otam is oh. people, and there's many different people. Um, and there were two mm -hmm. rivers. There's the Salt River and the Gila River. And so I think right. that's important to the history and the naming. And if people understand that, it makes mm -hmm. a lot more, it tells more of the story of um, who you are and where you come from, because you understand that. Like the Pima people were our two tribes. The government actually broke families apart, you know? And so I think that's something also good Arizona history to understand, yeah. Absolutely. Vina, how about you? Uh, for me, it's um, Diné. I mean, like um, Byron has mentioned Navajo. Um, it's funny how Byron mentioned he was taught about Nabe Ho. Um, I was always taught we're Diné people and, you know, and Navajo came from a Spanish word. Um, it was given to us as Byron has mentioned. So um, it's most commonly used by a lot of people who are not familiar with the term Diné. Um, and I was always taught you're, you know, when I was growing up, my mom said, you're Diné, you're Diné, you know, and that's just something um, my mom and dad are fluent speakers. So that's just something that we use in our term um, when we address people is, you know, means, you know, I am of the people. Um, mm -hmm. So we always, I prefer Diné. And that's really huge. You know, I think it's important for everyone to understand, for our audience to understand that for typically colonized and oppressed people, the ability to name yourself as a community is central to your identity, right? And one thing that I've noticed too, as I'm, getting to know other tribal people from different communities is when they have their own language and what they refer to themselves, it's often the people. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I've noticed that comes across when I'm interacting with other tribal members. Yeah. So it's always best to ask the person mm -hmm. <laughs> from what tribal community, um, what do you, it's, you know, it's more respectful. What do you like to be called? 
you know, and rather than time assuming. <laughs> yeah, okay. rather than assuming. Yeah. So perfect. Well, thank you. Um, so I know we kind of mentioned misappropriation specifically. We, you know, we called out a few specific tropes, but like in general, even if it's not in literature, like what kind of misappropriation of your culture bothers you the most when you see it? Um, we'll start with Naomi. So for me, I think visual representations bother me the most because they're like stuck in my mind and they also are harmful to young kids. Um, I remember growing up in the 90s and having all of these, you know, Disney movies and different, you know, Mm -hmm. Images, just of everything. Um, like and Pocahontas, Tiger Lily, mm -hmm. like they're all still in my head and they don't go away, even if like they're updated or there's like a warning or anything. It's still like this is what native is. And mm -hmm. it's really funny for me coming from a desert community of also people think of like a headdress or planes and my grandma is from Montana, yes, but my grandpa's was here, you know, and in the desert, we don't dress up and have powwows like they do, you know, in other parts of the country. And I think, I mean, we have, we celebrate them today, but I think that's something that, that imagery of everybody, you know, has a headdress and has this beaded jewelry or this type of thing, but that's all really tribally specific. If you look at, you know, um, regalia and, you know, what each tribe has that's important to them, um, you'll see different imagery and different materials and different things very specific um, to their communities and to where they're from. And so I think like the imagery of just the the mascots and the characters of if they're trying to be fictional in one way, but they're also real. And there's a lot of history and baggage that comes with those um, stereotypes. And so um that that that's what still bothers me today as an adult that's totally fair <laughs> byron how about you i think coming from the writing world i i've i've encountered a lot of um what's funny is that the naomi spoke about the the powwows and and that that celebration but i feel it's just become a pan-indian thing now and and that all tribes are intermixed but then people think because your Navajo, you celebrate powwow, and I'm, uh, that's something that I was raised not to really ever be a part of. And I, it always, it intrigued me, but I was just always remembered to that I was told that it wasn't part of who we were. And so now, as as I've grown, I've I've witnessed people who are um, identifying as Indian. Uh, wearing turquoise or wearing a squash blossom or you know wearing jewelry that isn't part of who they are but yet they they claim it and so when i see um misappropriation i think of identity as being a commodifiable product mm -hmm. now um and these these certain signifiers that they wear are are just costumey in a sense not mm -hmm. really looked at as as a, a just to me personally. So um, I just feel like a lot of the um, misappropriation does come when um, a person does, um, I don't know, I see it a lot with uh, with non-Navajo non writers who are married to a Navajo and then they tell the story of the Navajo um, and, and, you know, it, it becomes their fame and fortune rather it, it's just i see that misappropriation happen all the time within the writing community of the partner always um banking on on their their partner's um i guess beliefs and and traditional values so yeah i i don't know how else to say that but yeah social media kind of has given everyone a platform to kind of find that in 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 communities i feel like in in all over so Thank you. Um, Vina, how about you? For me, a lot of it has to do with what Naomi and Byron has mentioned. Um, it's it's the real generalization of putting us in one bucket, you know, that we're all one, that Native Americans are all one tribe. They're not, mm -hmm. they're not what Naomi's tribe or my tribe or somebody else's tribe, you know, it's, um, it, and then it just, putting the same thing as the powwow thing, you know, that we all have different dances and 
everyone assumes that all Native Americans do powwow dancing and technically we don't, you know, we don't necessarily engage in that. Um, for me, it's, it's, yeah, it stems from the mascots. The, those are what the misappropriation, most importantly, is the culture, like the smudging, the sweat lodges that is being profitized, you know, for profit. You know, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to downplay or put a certain town down. Like, you know, um, when I go to Sedona, I see crystals and I see sweat lodges and, you know, those things, that's, that's what really bothers me um, is using those traditional type of ceremonial type of things that is misused in a profit that was never in my culture was never taught you're supposed to do you know so that that's those are things what bothers me and when i see them being sold on amazon or smudge kits and you know that's what bothers me the most and in a sense that's just another form of colonization right coming in mm -hmm. and taking your stuff and i'm going to sell it for my own profit yeah mm -hmm. okay so thank you all so this question now is for naomi and Zina as librarians so what advice would you give for a reader who really doesn't know much um, about your cultures? Um, how could they be on the lookout for stereotypes and misappropriation if they don't really know what to look for? Um, so it's Naomi. That's a great question. Um, I run into many, many books that I've read, especially YA. <laughs> I'm gonna mm -hmm. just pull that out there of publishers and writers writing about a specific group of people, let's say my tribe, for example, and the story mm -hmm. is set in Arizona. And then they're talking about like teepees and other things that don't even belong. And I'm like, no, obviously, but somebody who didn't know Arizona or the tribes of Arizona mm -hmm. don't know that that's not traditional here. And so for anybody who's going to be reading, and of course it's fiction, but it's still harmful. Um, if you're going to be reading about something and come across a tribe mentioned or um, a specific, you know, type of, you know, house or, you know, we were just talking about like regalia and different kind of like imagery. I would encourage people to research it, to look and see mm. where does this stem from, you know, look in a dictionary, look in a map, look at the geography and say, does this, you know, is this real? I think I was in grad school when Twilight came back, came out and I was in Washington state and everybody mm. was just asking me all these questions. And I was like, I am not from the west, the, the coast or the ocean. I have, I don't know about tribal communities here in Washington mm. state. I would listen to the people from that place and what are they saying about it? And if they're saying that's not true and that's not right, then that's, you know, what you should listen to. And so I think that's something that as more and more books about natives are published than by natives, I think it's something to really pay attention to. But also I see stuff published by natives that are not from the community that they're writing about. This happens a lot. Um, and I do have a problem with that, too, because I don't think you can really tell the story or understand the story from that perspective. And I would rather hear the story from the people whose story it is to tell. And so a lot of, you know, I see co-authors on things or illustrators that aren't Native illustrating Native books by Native authors, and it, it does bother me. And so if you don't know, I would say ask or do your research. Every tribe has a tribal website. They have information about their tribe. Um, you can search Wikipedia and then do a fact check on Wikipedia. You can reach out to your local librarian and ask mm -hmm. and say, hey, do you know anything about this tribe or that I read about this? Do you know if this is true? Um, those are good questions to ask. And I know being a part of the American Indian Library Association, we get so many questions in our inbox that we don't answer, <laughs> but they are questions like this, people looking for answers to know if things are true that they read in a book. Mm -hmm. And it's not for us to answer those questions, it's for you to answer those questions, for you to do that research and to, to verify and say, hmm, this is interesting. And then really take that next step. And I mean, a lot of people will hide behind, oh, well, it was fiction or it was just a story. It was for fun. I don't buy that because <laughs> I think you know better in this world of information, you know, and you can ask, you know, we are a very connected mm -hmm. world. We're very connected in communities and families. 
and places and you can ask. And I think that's that's something to, to also understand that every family will have different traditions and ways of life and being, you know, I grew up in the city and others of my in my same family grew up on the reservation, you know, and people live in different places and have different viewpoints on things. And so that's really valid and that's really something to pay attention to. Um, but if you see that in literature, to ask those questions and to investigate and kind of try to discover an answer. And sometimes there might not be an answer. It's complicated. And that's exactly where it's good to sit with that complicated, mm -hmm. uncomfortable, I don't know about this book sort of thing. And I've read many, many, I'm going to say YA because it happens a lot in young adult literature of I'm not sure about this. And I am not going to, mm -hmm. you know, if I can't read it from a perspective of the author is giving me their, you know, information about themselves and why they wrote this book and what this book means to them, then I, I really question kind of some of the what's written, um, even if it's, you know, fiction or fantasy or adventure or whatever it is. I think it's really important to know, you know, the, there is a purpose in literature. There is a purpose in writing and um think about those greater questions that's humanities that's understanding people that's um getting to a point especially if you are you know reading stuff that especially was published a long time ago and it's still mm -hmm. being pushed off as you know native literature I, I go to my local public library and i look through their catalog and i'm like hmm i, I just make all these faces i'm sure because i'm like <laughs> but yeah that was very inspiring. Thank you, Naomi. Vina, how about you? Uh, for me, it's um, when uh, Naomi was talking about teepees in Arizona, it brought me back to a time when I was working in Crazy Horse Memorial in South Dakota years ago. I had a lady that came out to me for some reason, you know, they thought Vina's Navajo. She's in the Southwest. We'll put her in the Southwest jewelry. So they put me in the Southwest jewelry and I had this lady customer come up to me and she was like, I need your opinion. I have, um, I'm trying to build a native, a Southwest theme in my house. And, you know, with totem poles, what kind of totem poles would you recommend? I have like a Buffalo rawhide and, and I'm looking at her and she's like, I have some teepees and image image some photos of teepees. And I I I, I paused for a minute. And I was this young girl, like, what? <laughs> you know? And I stopped her for a minute and I said, um, ma'am, I said, I'm sorry, but teepees and totem poles are not Southwest. I go, in the Southwest, we have Hogans for the Navajo people. There's also Pueblo dwelling, uh, you know, for Pueblos. And she was like, she was like, stumbled, like, really? She, she was going off the textbooks of what Hollywood has fictionized as Native people that we all live in teepees and we all wear buckskins and headdresses and things like that. So I had to do, that was my first encounter of educating. <laughs> um, and it, ironically, that whole job itself was, you know, was a kind of an eye opener. I was this little uh, res girl that came up to another res, close to the res in, you know, South Dakota. And I had an older lady coming up to me and she asked me, she's like, is there real native, is, is there real Native Americans that work here? And I, I looked at her, is there full-blooded? And I, I looked at her and I said, uh, you're actually talking to one. And she was like totally shocked and like she never seen any. And she's like, can I have your autograph? Can I have your, your name? And, and I shared this with my mom and my mom had her own experience and my mom grew up in the boarding school. She went to boarding school and things like that. And my mom was laughing at me and she said that she has some, she had an experience like that too when she was living uh, after she got out of high school, she was a babysitter, like a caretaker. And she said it was for an Anglo family. And, um, at that time, after my mom left boarding school, they relocated her to the city. So she was uh, a babysitter. And so she had this little kid, uh, Anglo kid that would come up to her and bring her friend, his friends over and her friends and saying, I have a real Navajo, a real Indian in my house, you know, and it was this little kid. So it, it's kind of a shock <laughs> when I read that this type 
this type of stuff still exists, especially in literature. And when one way to, as Naomi said, to identify is ask questions, you know, and what I do recommend uh, when I do give research or when I have educators ask me about what, you know, how can I find authentic uh, Native American literature or stuff on Native people? And I always recommend going to their local tribal you know, here in Arizona, we have um, the Tona Autumn tribe, and then we have Carlo, you know, San Carlos Apache, the Yavapais, you know, start locally in your region and branch out. And one thing that I do want to recommend is, you know, our culture is very oral. It's a huge oral literacy. So when there are times when some community invites the public to come for uh, social dances, that's a perfect time to take your children to these type of events because at these events, that's where you will get a lot of the the education that we share with a lot of our younger children. We share a lot of things, teachings and things like that. And that's kind of, it's more of an experience. And for us, for me, oral, um, learning those type of cultures is much more of an experience. So, you know, take a field trip if you're homeschooled, uh, if you're homeschooling your children, take a field trip, identify, you know, try to locate events that allow, you know, don't be afraid, you know, we're not going to push you away. We do allow, some tribal communities do allow the public to come in and they do have social mm -hmm. dances. And those are really an eye opener because they kind of dive a little bit more information about the culture. Thank you so much. Um, Siren, so you're the author among us here. So, you know, we talked about advice to readers, but what advice would you give to a writer if they're writing from a lived experience that's different from their own? So, like, is there a limit on what they should write? And if so, like, how will they know when they've reached that limit? I think Naomi talk, um, um, touched on it a little bit when she was talking about fiction writers, you know, crossing territory into other tribal nations where they're writing about that from a personal experience. And those are some of the things that I've come across as far as being a writer is how much story can you tell? You know, um, when it comes to um, um, me writing, I have to always remember to respect the culture, respect the people that I come from, respect the story, respect the landscape, you know, and always to remember whose story is who, you know, I write creative nonfiction for a reason because I, 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 I write from my own personal experience when it comes down to it. Um, I have to remember the I in me is only for I and not for we and not for, you know, us as a whole, because, you know, as Vina um, said, you know, take them to, to, uh, a ceremony of some sort or maybe I have to always remember my regions a little bit different from where you know people in the Western agency is from their story is going to be a little bit different their ceremony is going to be a little different you know versus uh, where Vina comes from versus mine so we have these discussions sometimes um, when it comes when when we were growing up how our cultures are um, are just a little bit different but who's right and who's wrong um, we have to remember that every teaching is regional. And so I try to respect those lines of territory when it comes to it, but also now respecting not only my, the, the lines of the Navajo Reservation, but also like San Carlos Apache, you have uh, the people out in the Eastern parts, the Apaches there, um, you have the Pueblos now. So, you know, you, you, you can't speak for a whole nation of people. You just have to remember that the narration uh, that you're, you're, you're coming up with is about me only. Um, when it comes to fiction, um, I, I, I have to put my foot down when it comes to whose story is who to tell. As I said, um, you know, you have people marrying into tribes, speaking for that tribe um, and, and, and kind of exploiting their, their culture in that sense for personal gain. So um, me, myself, I, I have to remember um, who my audience is. And for when it comes to future writers, who is your audience? Are you writing for yourself? Are you writing for that nation? Are you writing for celebrityness? Um, are you writing for the world or America? Like, is it about capital gain? So um, I, I have to, I have to always remind myself and remind those who are coming up as future writers um, to remember to um, balance um, their voice, their their culture 
their audience and and remember that you know that line of respect should never be crossed so thank yeah. you um Fina, i know you had some very strong feelings about like shape shape shifters and things like that so like do you how do you feel is there a line that authors shouldn't cross I believe when it comes to writing, and I'm not a writer, but when I read about coming from a very strict traditional home, and when it is when it is uh, intertwined with the westernized concepts, that becomes controversial. You know, this is one of the questions that I constantly get from non-tribal or Anglo people, so to speak. Why are we always upset when it comes to these types of stories? One thing that I do want to point out is the westernized concept and the indigenous culture are completely two different things it's as if it's like oil and oil and oil and vinegar or you know where it doesn't blend together and that's where it gets gets tricky when it comes to native culture there's a fine line that crosses when you're intertwining both worlds we were taught to respect everything we're taught to respect our clothing we're taught to respect these stories the people before us you know the animals the insects were here before us there's a reason why we talk about we only tell stories in the winter there's only there's a reason why we have respect for our clothing and how we conduct ourselves it boils down to respect. Everything is intertwined in, in the indigenous culture. Everything is connected, whereas the westernized world is more segregated. They like to put labels on things and separate things. For, for me growing up and being brought up in a traditional setting, everything is intertwined. The language is intertwined. The land is intertwined. So that's where it gets controversial because we're taught to respect these things and we're taught not to. Um, so when it starts to get integrated and written in stories, it starts to be a form of disrespect in some way. Um, so that's kind of where I fall on. You have to be careful. Uh, on those grounds. And I believe if it's not your culture, don't write about it. Um, if you're not from that community, don't write about it. You know, I see that quite a bit. I do see some non, uh, I do see some natives write from a different, you know, about a different culture. Um, and so it, the general rule is for me is just, if it's not your culture or you're not from that community, don't write about it. I will have more respect if you talk about your experience with an individual rather than acting as if you are that indigenous person from that community. It creates that falsify, it just falsifies the narrative. You know, it, it's not authentic. So as a follow-up then, like what would you say for an author who say is gonna write something set in Northern Arizona, like maybe in the Four Corners, and maybe their main character is um, someone that they identify with, but they, to make it authentic, obviously that character is going to interact with indigenous people from that particular area. So how would you recommend that they write that authentically, even though it's not their own point of view? I think writing in the third perspective, third person perspective would probably be more respectful in that sense, because you're always writing from that visitor's perspective, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to saying I or we, because then you're encapsulating the whole tribal nation as part of your own. And this is a discussion that we have now, right now, um, I think. Um, Long before, you know, Tony Hillerman was our introduction to Navajo mm -hmm. literature being a, a part of Native lit. And so, you know, him writing from that personal perspective of I kind of give it, it, it just, you know, I know Navajos get so happy when when Navajo or Diné is like, you know, kind of part of a production and you know it just elevated tony hillerman to the status of where he was adopted by navajos i believe and so you know um i think now that we have people like naomi and like vina and myself who are now questioning whose story mm -hmm. is it um we have to you know we have to redefine what native lit is and we we're doing that slowly and we're allowing ourselves to voice our own stories versus the people speaking for us now 
Um, we saw it, uh, I think uh, Susan Power and also Joseph Bro Brokaw did that. They wrote from, um, you know, Joseph wrote about the, the, the uh, code talkers. And I think Susan mm -hmm. spoke for the people up in the Northeast. And so there, there, you have people questioning now, whose story is it now? Um, allow us to speak from our own personal experiences to tell these stories. Um, yeah, I, I think about all of that um, as I write. Um, yeah, so I, there was another part there, the misappropriation. Uh, mm -hmm. There's There's people right now currently who are still doing it. I know a person who identifies with three tribes, but yet she has no connection to those tribes, yet she's, you know, and they're all Eastern tribes, one in Southern New Mexico. And so they, they're trying to, then they're writing about being youth. And it's like, what, wh where do you get all this? Like you're, you're the best fiction writer out there because you're making up these stories as you're coming along. But, mm -hmm. you know, as, as a writer, all of our stories are a personal journey in that sense that we put into fabrication to create these characters so people can write. Um, yeah, I, I, I do, I, I try to stay out of other people's um, narrati narrations when it comes to their own tribe. If I do write about someone else's tribe, I write it from a, a visitor's perspective. Mm -hmm. So I, I try not to cross into their territory, but write about that experience in in a sense of me being a Diné man going into their world so yeah and that goes back to everything that you've said before right as an author if you're inserting um you know the author is the visitor but you can still do your research um if you're gonna have a native or indigenous person as a third person in your book you will talk to someone from that particular tribe in that particular area Right, you can still do your due diligence and research as an author in a respectful way um, to make sure that to give the people that chance to say, no, don't do that. Don't talk about that. Um, yes. Yes, that's okay. Yes, that's fine. Yeah, I, I think we we saw that in Rebecca Roanhorse's um, mm -hmm. um, book that she first published. And, you know, I asked um, the people, I asked my family if it was okay, their family, her 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 married family if it was okay but you know it's 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 one it's like me talking for a whole nation and saying i said it was okay you can write about it you know <laughs> um it, it, it it's something yeah yes i want to jump in and say that mm -hmm. i actually like have read a couple books that were about my tribe and then contacted the author and said why did you put this in there this isn't true um, and they said, well, I talked to somebody and they said it was true. Mm. And I said, well, that's some one person. That's not like, did you take this to the tribal council? Did you take mm -hmm. this to the, you know, elders? There's an elders council, you know, there's there's lots of different people you can ask. Um, and if it's not true, why did, it didn't enhance the book any. So here's my mm -hmm. thing. When I, especially if I get like an advanced reader copy, I'm reading this book. They're throwing in all these, you know, stereotypes or mis, mis, untruths, all these fictional things. And then it doesn't add anything to the book. It's like it's not even part of the story. The story would be better if you left out all these things that you were saying about a specific tribe or people group. The book actually might have actually been okay if you had taken out all of your, you know, thrown in falsification mm -hmm. untruths. If you had written this book about, you know, a native girl that went to a white high school in in Alba in uh, Awatuki, and she was on the golf team and she, you know, did all these great things and went to college. Cool. Don't throw in, you know, misappropriations and stereotypes. And mm -hmm. I think I, I didn't mention this, but one thing that bothers me a lot is a lot of writers that will just write about, you know, alcoholism and trauma and abuse mm -hmm. and all these things that are very stereotypical, but nothing that is celebrated that, hey, these are mm -hmm. actually real people that actually do go to school. And yes, they have struggles because, you know, there's low unemployment and there's, you know, mm -hmm definitely not reliable transportation or access to different things. There are, you know, social, um, political issues and things at play, but that's not part of your story. They're only telling, you know, the, the, the narrative of wanting to be, you know, traumatized or wanting to be, you know, this is, 
important to my story, but it really isn't. If you read the whole book and the whole story, a lot of what's put in there, I feel like should be taken out because if it was taken out, then I would actually have like a better narrative. And so that's just my beef of when I really read books and, and critique books, um, if, they're, if they're fiction, but they're throwing in all these untruths about a person or a character or a group of people. And they don't need that. It doesn't need that to enhance the story. The story could just be about any character. It doesn't even have to be native. It could just be, you know, a character that grew up in the city and did all these things and had to go back and forth to the reservation. Okay, but don't throw in a bunch of, you know, clearly, you know, grass dancing and things that I'm mm -hmm. like, this is not in Phoenix. <laughs> this is Phoenix. Like, are you talking about, like, my people? Are you talking about, like... Mm -hmm other people and other tribes that actually, you know, participate in these things. And so it's really, it's really wild sometimes the things that you'll read, um, romances, mm -hmm. fan fiction and fantasy, it's wild. Thank you. Um, did you have something else to add? Well, I was going to say, uh, um, researcher, author, you know, then you can see if it's going to be a reliable narrator versus a non-reliable narrator. You know, um, I, I, I just I look at that now, the narration as far as who's writing about whose story that does that make the, 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 the journey of this person, this narrator, an unreliable source now. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I, anyway, I do, sorry. I do want to add, it's kind of hard to as Native people to really say, uh, what to look for in terms of what's really the authentic voice um, to a non-tribal person, because we know when we read it, it's, mm -hmm. um, we know this isn't authentic. This person, we know this person is not from this tribe because mm -hmm. it, I guess it's, you could say it's like an inter community type of thing that we just know. So in in response to that, I one of the things that I constantly get from when it comes to people wanting to know about our culture is they always start with the ceremonies. They always start with, mm. uh, you know, the prayers and things like that. Um, but what I can tell you is anybody who's brought up in a traditional way will never, writers will never write about those type of uh, ceremonials in detail. And Rebecca Roanhorse, Byron had mentioned that I, I, I was offended by that book, you know, because it deals with my tribe and I don't recommend it. I mean, I read that book probably midway and I was just disgusted. I was like, OK, I'm going to try to make it to the middle. Sun? Or which, which yeah. the, the Trail of the Lightning. Okay. Rebecca Roanhorse. Yeah, um, I, I'm not trying to like um, just like ruin her writing career, mm -hmm. but she's not of that tribal community and there's a lot of reference in that material that's related to our ceremonial stuff and it just puts it in a context that are to me I was offended by it because it was in a way that it made my culture of what I was raised fictionized that it's a fantasy that your culture isn't real um, and that's kind of what I was offended by it. I was taught to respect all of these things. And so when it's written in a form like that, it, it was a huge blow to me and a disrespect. So I tried to read through at least I, one fourth of the book. I started reading. I was like, no, no, no. And at the whole time I was like shaking my head. No, no. You know, and I tried to force myself to read middle way and I just couldn't give in. And I just thought I couldn't finish the book. So um, that's one thing that I do want people to understand is we'll never write our ceremonial stories. Those are only given within our community and shared within our community. Um, writers will tend to write reference to that, but they will not put it into detail. So as Byron said, um, you know, there's certain boundaries you do not cross. That's even within our own community and our own teachings, too. So that's great. And thank you all for being so open and honest. I know these can be really hard topics, right? Because they're very personal. Um, and, you know, you've, you've, you face them every single day. You know, like Vina said, um, people might stop you on the street and say, hey, I have a question for you. And you're like, I'm really just going to the store, guys. Thanks. But, you know, I just don't have the emotional capacity right now. But so thank you so much for doing this. So final question, just to kind of wrap it all up. Um, since we're talking about literature and books, the last final advice that you might give, like parents who are looking for 
books for their children, um, or what's your favorite book by a Native or Indigenous author that you really, really recommend our audience go and check out? Uh, Naomi, let's start with you. So I have a lot of advice um, about children's literature. Um, you can check out the American Indian Youth Literature Awards. Um, online, just Google it. You can also read a blog from Debbie Reese. It's called American Indians and Children's Literature. It's a great blog that discusses books and topics, um, both books that sh should not be belong on your shelves and books that maybe you should buy and, and are recommended. Um, also, I just recommend um, parents and families talk about what they're seeing. If there, if there are things that come up, I mean, I've checked out books from the library, looked at them, it's about, you know, Thanksgiving or a holiday or something. And I'm like, why did I check this out? <laughs> but then I'm able to t point to it and talk to my kid about it and say, hey, you know, this is not right. This is not, you know, appropriate. And kind of talk about what's wrong in those pictures and what this isn't the true story. And, you know, this is um, something we should we should report. We should we should tell the library, you know, maybe this isn't the greatest book to have on the shelf because it, they, there's a lot of books that just haven't been checked out in a long time that maybe need to be evaluated. Um, so evaluate your collections. I know um, there's a lot of older books that just continue to be published. Um, a lot of even Curious George and, and Clifford and famous stuff that's published mm -hmm. that still has lots of misappropriations and stereotypes in it. Um, that you should pay attention to as a parent. A couple of my favorite books I have here. Um, so I have Apple in the Middle from Don Quigley, um, Middle Gray or Middle YA. Um, if you haven't read, I have Hearts Unbroken, um, Cynthia Lighty Smith, which is a YA. Um, and then I have I Can Make This Promise, um, Christine Day. These are all recent 2020 American Indian Youth Literature Award books. And I love them all because they have female Native characters that are contemporary. And like the experiences that the characters had in those books are experiences that I had as a kid or as a young adult um, going to high school and just living my life with my family. And so um, and learning a lot about my culture and um, so that's why I really love those books. If you haven't read them, check them out at your local library. Thank you. Um, Byron, how about you? I really love the Twilight series. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, I, I know that I shouldn't. Ceremony is something that I kind of go back to when it comes to uh, an, uh, an author and you know, Leslie Marmon Silco did a no-no by talking about a little too much about her culture. When we talk about these ceremonies that we shouldn't be writing about, I feel like she got in trouble for that and 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 by by her people for kind of ex exploiting a little too much. But the the lit the the language inside it though, however, is so beautiful and so poetic that you just fall into this dreamlike state for me. And it's something that I always go back to as far as finding that prose voice, that poetic nature, um, and, and kind of just embrace her as a person to look up to when it comes to writing. You know, um, she wrote Almanac of the Dead, which is a very epic novel. And it's something that she wrote that took her 10 years to write, you know, but she tells the future. And it's just amazing what she does with story and how she this was written in the 80s. So she predicts the future of the 90s. And it's just fascinating how she came about it. Um, I look to poetry a lot as far as um, as far as looking for the. When it comes to natives and, and comes to indigenous writers, people who speak their language know that our language is poetic when transcribed into English already. Everything is verb based. Everything has that beauty about it, you know, and so I feel like poetry is kind of a given when it comes to us because we're able to convey that um, in English using that beauty so to speak um Laylee long soldier is one of um, my favorites that i really cling to um she is lakota and she writes this whole narrative based on uh, documentation and and treaties and and does um they call it uh um 
profound poetry is what it is. So she's taking words out of the, the documents of the treaty to create this beauty, beauty out of ugly. And so she really makes me look at language, sounds of language, and uh, digging into those emotions. Uh, Natalie Diaz is another person who will, um, that she can describe an apple in multiple ways. You know, she'll make, seduce you with an apple. She'll, she does this thing, uh, she's Mojave, and she's just an amazing poet. You have Sherwin Bitsui and Jennifer um, Forrester and Paige Buffington, who are all these great poets that are there. So if anything, if you wanna, I don't know, uh, indigenize your your bookshelf, um, look up poets that are, are um, of indigeneity. They, they just, their words are beautiful, so. Thank you, and Bina, how about you? For me, it's been, lately, it's been a lot of children's literature. I've been tailoring a lot to that lately, um, only because when I was a kid, I never had any of these. So it's like me and like being a kid all over again when I read these books. Um, one of the ones that I recently read was um, the book from Christ Christine Day, The Sea in the Winter. What I really loved about that book was she had that positive twist you know, um, she really focused on the positive. Everyone seems to write about, as Naomi, about those stereotypes that were, you know, drunk, being drunk, dealing with alcoholism. That seems to be something that's written across all the time in Native American literature, um, the trauma and things like that. For me, Christian Day, Christine Day really focus more on the positivity side of it, staying away from that. That's kind of what I really enjoyed. And then the other one is two books. The other one is Vine Deloria. I got to give it to him all the time. We have God is Red. Um, I grew up on that one when I first um, was introduced to Native American literature years ago. I was familiar, I was introduced to um, Leslie Marvin Silko, um, Joe Harjo, uh, Vine Deloria really spoke to me because he really put it in a, um, a Native American perspective on how to educate the non-tribal of trying to understand who we are as a person. Another person that also really targeted that area too was Anton Treyer, the one that wrote everything you need to know about a Native American, an Indian, but afraid to ask. He's written that book and he touches on a lot of these misconceptions that are being, we have discussed, but he also really makes a note that I only speak from his perspective and that he can't speak for everybody. He's actually turned that book into a young adult edition. So that's going to be coming out shortly too. And the other one too that I really like is Eric Gransworth is Apple. This one, there's very few books for native young men. You know, there's a lot of material for women, but, um, uh, but not for men, you know, and oftentimes that's that's um, we also need to focus on our, our native boys. I, I have two boys. And so them having those experience and sharing those experiences is really important for them, too. So I see a lot of books written for young, younger women. So, you know, I do recommend writing more, seeing more about um, younger men targeted for men our native men, boys and stuff, so. Thank you so much, all of you. Um, you know, this is a ongoing conversation and it's one of the great things about the world we live in today is that it's becoming more and more talked about, right? You'll see it on blogs, you'll see some really nuanced conversations, but then you also see things like maybe Book Riot will put out a blog like the 10 best books written by native authors and then they just do exactly what you don't like, right? They'll just include anyone as long, you know, as long as they're native, right? And it doesn't matter. So, you know, on the one hand, yes, these conversations are being had, but on the other hand, we live in the fake news world, right? So our audience really has to look at who's putting the information out. You know, they have to look at, is it accurate? Um, is there an agenda? Do the, does this person know what they're talking about? Um, you know, is there, does it seem does it kind of just seem right? If it doesn't, there's plenty of people to ask them. You can ask your librarians. You can ask, um, you know, if you live near a reservation, you can find out, like Naomi said, if there are tribal elders or a council or, you know, if there's some way, 
you know, I know Navajo, they have a website. There are, you know, there's like libraries. There's plenty of ways and avenues that you can get information. Um, are there any last, anything last that you wanted to chat about before we sign off the webinar? The one thing that I also want to mention is most of the tribes are, are creating museums. So there's a lot of the place, you know, you could take your kids there is to the museums. A lot of tribal communities are developing tribal museums to tell their story. So that's where you would also get a lot of authentic um, to know about a particular tribal community. Excellent point. I would say Google your authors if you want to learn more or know more about them and see what you find. Um, there's a lot of information out there. Use your information skills to kind of do your own research and see who are these authors, what are they writing, and what are people saying about their writing. Um, a lot of books get reviewed and they're not reviewed from a Native perspective, so also pay attention to that. Um, and then also um, in Arizona here, we just have so many opportunities to celebrate Native culture and arts in different communities and tribes. And so I just think about like living here in Phoenix, like the Herd Museum, Pueblo Grande, like there's so many different places that you could go um, or take your kids or your families um, to learn about Native culture and celebrate it and support it and, and buy real, you know, um, mm -hmm. Native artists and, and Native artwork and um, things that you could actually um, really share or, or learn the story about. And so I would really just encourage people as um, the pandemic has hit us hard to really just support Native authors and Native artists. Thank you for listening to Shelf Logic. Make sure to hit subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Follow us on social media where we are at MCLDAZ.